I'm Paul Sutton, and this is Digital Download, the show where I talk to topic experts on digital marketing, social media, and public relations about the things that matter in today's communications industry. The last year has challenged so many people in so many different ways. It seems crass and even tone deaf to talk about marketing communications in the face of the human cost of 2020. But trying to do just that, the pandemic and the social unrest we've witnessed during the last 10 months have challenged the industry and those working in it like nothing in living memory. Personally speaking, I can only regard myself as extremely lucky at the current time. My family and friends have thus far escaped COVID and financially I've done okay this year. Perhaps working as a consultant and living in the Cotswolds has insulated me and my family from much of what's happened. But even as I record this, England has just gone into a second national lockdown, Brexit is once again rearing its ugly head and the US presidential election hangs very much in the balance. I get the sense that if Joe Biden does win a term in the White House, the world at large will breathe a collective sigh of relief. But that's just me. And the events of this year and what's to come in 2021 are very different depending on who you talk to. So to close out 2020, I'm exploring some of those experiences and opinions. Over the next two shows, I'm talking to five senior figures in the communications industry to gain an insight into how they've experienced the last 10 months and how they're planning for 2021. The conversations I had were enlightening, in places touching and always candid. So let's kick off. How do my guests feel about what's happened this year? The one thing I keep talking about is how grateful I am for everything that I've had this year. I didn't lose my job. I haven't lost anyone very close to me. I am still working. I managed to work from home um, capably and competently. Um, managed to spend more time with my children. Um, and you know, in when you look at everything in in totality, I've had a very very lucky year, um, and I know that so many people haven't. So it's a tough thing to think about from from even a personal perspective. I'm just immensely grateful. My name is James Watley, and I am a strategy partner at Digitas UK. I I love people. I thrive on people around me. Um, you know. I'm I'm one of those people in the office, and I know some people can't stand people like me. But at about ten thirty, I go and get my second cup of tea, and I'll just go and do the rounds, and I'll just try and make eye contact with a few people and see what they're working on. See, you know, overhear some conversations, and if I hear something I can help with, I'll jump in, and you know, try and find that serendipity that sparks interest in conversations, that sparks new creative ideas, that sparks new solutions for clients. Um, and I, I thrive on that. And I um, I miss that. And that's what will bring me back to the office. However, my my modal way of working um, has got back into deep work and I've adjusted and it's worked out OK. Whereas James talks of gratitude and feeling lucky for not having anyone close to him become ill, others haven't been quite so fortunate. Rax Lakani is a digital PR and social media consultant. He told me that for him, 2020 has been a year of self-reflection. Personally, you know, it's been it's been a tough year. Well, the first half was, 
anyway um uh, actually i started off you know having a great first first few months going away to chile and easter island uh, for about a month and um brilliant came back straight into lockdown uh overnight practically lost about probably about eight percent of my clients uh, started to feel the pain um and then i had family members you know um uh, going to hospital with with COVID, um, which was uh, you know really worrying time, and thankfully they they all recovered and were in good health. But it was you know for everybody, uh, I know you know it's been a very worrying, a very a very odd year. Um, but at the same time, it's been good on many other accounts. It's really the year that I probably feel most connected to the PR industry, bizarrely. Um, and uh, yeah, that's been a good thing. And I think uh, some good things have been happening this year. Um, and I think ahead of next year, that's really where all of our eyes are turned to in hope that it's a better year. Um, but yeah, it's been a funny old year and it's not, not yet finished. The self-reflection that Rax refers to is something that's common among many of the people I've spoken to over the last few months. And for some, it has resulted in some pretty radical changes to careers and lives in general. So I'm still married. <laughs> Just about. My name's Stephen Waddington. I'm a professional advisor to agencies and communication teams. Uh, I'm also a, a writer and author and teacher. It's given me time that first period of lockdown from March gave me time to reflect and think about my personal life, home life uh, and professional life and what I want to spend the next 10 years doing. So yeah, to, to not understate it too much, it has been life-changing. Stephen says that the pandemic has been transformative for him this year, getting him off the rat race of travelling backwards and forwards into London every week. As a result of that reflection, Stephen left his job as MD of digital marketing agency Metia in June to establish himself as an independent professional advisor. I'd spent the last 10 years, in fact, I spent my whole career working in, in London, uh, the last 10 years with, you know, large international uh, or independent agencies. Um, and with that comes a huge amount of travel, long hours uh, and the grind for me personally, because I live up in the northeast, uh, going backwards and forwards to to London, and that's you know got a significant overhead and, and in terms of the time it takes, but you know men, mental headspace and and so forth, and and you know it, let's not two ways about it. It was really tough um, from a personal point of view. First of all, my wife and I have never lived together for more than three or four days at a stretch because we we both have fairly nomadic or have had nomadic careers where we travel a lot uh, so that was the biggest issue um, we got over that but then homeschooling and and you know all the challenges that everyone faced in, in managing a lockdown so yeah inevitably you reflect and you think there's got to be a small way of doing this um the, the, there's also benefit there's a lot of benefit from lockdown so this sort of awakening around my career was one of them the other one was just the availability of people i i mean i don't know about you but at this stage i'm i'm completely fatigued by zoom but you know the, there has been an opportunity to meet people and have conversations in a way that you haven't, just haven't been before there's, there's sort of been an accessibility um so that that's been a factor as well being able to have conversations openly with people we're kind of all in it together uh, and you know thinking about you know, how I might do things differently. One of the things that I personally found difficult about this year was homeschooling my three kids between March and July. 
Even with the massive support of my wife, it simply wasn't possible for me to lock myself away for five or six hours a day to work. And so the balance between home and work became, at times, unmanageable. CEO of Armand Dietrich and founder of Spin Sucks, Ginny Dietrich, is still managing this issue today, as her seven-year-old is not yet back at school due to different rules in the United States. She told me that she's keeping an isolation diary in order to remember the small things that happened during this time and how she feels about them. Yesterday, I was just like, I mean, I love my kid. She's my the, my favorite human being. But does she have to sit on my lap while she does class while I'm trying to work? Come on. <laughs> it's just that's been the biggest challenge is I've had no time alone. Zero. I don't even ride my bike alone. It's zero time alone. None. In common with most other agencies on both sides of the Atlantic, and this includes me, business for Ginny fell off a cliff towards the end of March. You may remember the week before lockdown in the UK where there was massive uncertainty, but things didn't look too bleak from a business standpoint. And then the first week of lockdown itself when everything just ground to a halt. You know, it's funny. So in March and the first week of April, we had pretty much every, I think every agency client but one put us on hold. And at that time, having gone through the Great Recession, I assumed that nothing would come back. And by July, pretty much everybody was back. But it was funny because it was they didn't want to, to continue on a retainer annual kind of relationship. And we've actually made more money because of that, because they're they're more they wanted to do more project based stuff. And so like we've been billing our actual time instead of, you know, a projected time. So that's been interesting. I've also done quite a bit of crisis work, um, you know, with the social injustice and Black Lives Matter and all the the civil unrest that's been happening um, has created massive issues for organizations. And so I've been doing a lot of crisis work. So that's been pretty um, profitable, too. So I kind of hate to admit that it's been a pretty good year. <laughs> I mean, certainly, you know, we're we're down in a number of employees and I have no idea what to expect for next year from a revenue standpoint because it's been so chaotic and so unpredictable. But yeah, it hasn't been too bad. One of the major issues we've grappled with this year is obviously the transition to working from home. Now, there are some of us that have done this for years, and for me, the thought of working in an office again after six years of home working as a consultant brings me out in a cold sweat. But it's not without its challenges for most organisations. Everybody kind of you know, had to, practically overnight, um, just change the way that they, they work and rely a lot more on on you know virtual technology so you know at every place i've worked over the last two decades nobody has has been willing to embrace what technology can actually deliver in terms of working processes so now i think everybody has been forced to get used to things like zoom microsoft teams google Meet, uh, using collaborative software like slack and there's just been a whole a whole massive explosion of online webinars, of networking events, of people using social media to really kind of connect with people, share experiences. There's been a whole mentoring schemes out there. Um, and in my days full back-to-back video calls. Um, and you know what? They're okay. They're great. 
Not everyone shares Rax's enthusiasm for video calls, and as Stephen said, Zoom fatigue has become a thing. Stephen points out that we don't just chat anymore. Do you know what? We defaulted by, we stopped having phone calls, so so everything becomes a meeting and, you know, uh, and maybe it is, in, but, uh, you know, maybe that was important at one stage, but we've lost that serendipity of just bumping into someone or just giving them a call. Uh, I think we I need to get a bit of that, that back. For creatives, you know, sitting sitting back on the sofa in the creative department, noodling something, kicking ideas off, off someone is part of their blood, right? They need to be able to do that. Don't get me wrong, some like to go and sit in a dark room on their own until they come up with the idea. But for others, it's very different. The office is, is you know, that space where we gather and the space where we do work. But for me, I think the challenge lies in finding new ways to create serendipity. And there's a great book called um, where, where Good Ideas Come From, The Seven Patterns of Innovation. And basically, it talks about how Pixar famously create serendipity by you know the first first office space they worked in they only had one set of toilets and that was the purpose so that people would have to pass by people on the way to the bathroom because you might go oh hey you what are you working on and then swap ideas serendipity that word again when two people you trust and respect say the same thing you should listen so what else have we seen change this year From my perspective, I had a lot more inquiries from small businesses playing catch up with social media, and others have seen this too. Social, which is where I work, is kind of escalated at a terrific rate, not just, you know, the amazing rise of TikTok, but, you know, every platform got noisier and noisier, and that has not abated. The consequence of which is that more brands began to turn to social as a way of being a little bit closer to customers, which is fantastic, but we found ourselves having to work twice as hard to make our, our clients uh, more stand out because, because there's just so much noise. I'm Katie Howell uh, from Immediate Feature, where I am the CEO. There's a really big challenge with our industry, which is There is no barrier to entry when it comes to social media. And so what tends to happen is that people say, we want to do more on social, which is just the worst. It's the worst brief ever. Um, They want to do so on budgets that, you know, frankly, you couldn't get a set of leaflets printed for. Just this morning, I was doing a quick update to my in my head of all the changes that have just happened on LinkedIn as it's upgraded, the changes to its algorithm, changes to its events pages let alone the formats, um, and then you've got the creativity and how do you tilt creative into a social format which grabs attention within a couple of seconds, and then you've got paid and reach and targeting, and then you've got behaviours and changes. in behavior. I mean, honestly, I could go on for hours about this because the reality is social needs to step up as a professional way of reaching your customers because if brands don't take it seriously, the current mood of the nation, which is cancel culture, is broad scale movements and value and attitudes that are holding brands to a higher account. If we don't do that as a industry, marketing or comms, then actually social could, could cause a lot of lot more harm. The whole area of brand purpose and cancel culture has been one that, COVID aside, has dominated marketing during 2020. 
In this environment, some brands are doing well, living a purpose and doing rather than just talking. But others, well, not so much. Purpose has become a major communications issue, and for good reason. The last month I've had two projects come in with agencies, um, very different agencies, looking specifically at changing their whole proposition to help uh, brands find their purpose and to communicate their purpose. And this word purpose is, you know, it's it come out of nowhere and now everyone's talking about purpose, or the big brands as well. I think the reason is there's been a lot of studies, I think there's one out last week, about how the changing demographics are now what their expectations of brands are. And I think now, especially with what's happened this year with a lot of brands blacking out because of COVID, that they, they couldn't go out with a marketing message or a comms message selling their goods. They had to talk about something or talk about nothing. And it was very, very sensitive. So I think it, it made a lot of brands reflect on, well, if this is something that is going to be expected of us, how do we tackle it? And my view is that you can't you can't fake it. You can't transpose a purpose onto your brand if, if there's nothing you know at the core of its DNA. So on one hand, you've got brands really trying to connect with with a purpose or a, an issue, but the consumers are very much uh, more uh, expectant of a brand to, to have something more about them. So whether it's around sustainability, whether it's about supply chain practices, whether it's about their record on, on employment, you know, on, on diversity, all of that data is actually publicly available right now. You know, there is this massive growth in these purpose apps that you know anyone can scan a barcode of a product that they can pick off a shelf and it will tell you exactly what their record is on, you know, on employment or on the environment. And, and consumers are, are are voting to spend their money on the on the brands that actually you know are aligned with their own thinking. Brands can't can't um, blag it. They can't they can't pretend. I think generally, you know, people are good people generally, right? So when they're faced with something like civil unrest or uh, racism or sexism in the inside the organization, for the most part, I'm not going to say generally, but for the most part, people want to fix that. And I think this year has been really good from that perspective, because you're seeing people take stands, you're seeing brands take stands. You know, we talk about how, how we're all tired of opening every social network and every marketing email from every single organization in the whole world saying, go vote, go vote, go vote. Okay. I voted. I got it. <laughs> like, um, and you didn't, you've never had that before. So the idea that people and brands, people are allowing their brands to take a stand on social issues, I think is really important. And that's how we make societal change, which is what's necessary. Um, so from that perspective, I do think it's been a it's been a phenomenal year, and you know you know this crisis creates opportunity. We may not think so because we're human beings and we don't like change, but it does. And you're seeing some really innovative companies and products right now. This level of innovation, whether it's due in part due to COVID or not, is something that we should perhaps all take solace in and celebrate as something positive to come out of what has been a truly horrendous year. When it mattered most, acceleration in technological adoption and in working processes has happened. But it's still a big challenge, especially for those still playing catch-up. Quite early on, we drew up a framework as a Strat team looking at, right, what has COVID accelerated? 
what has COVID destroyed and what has COVID ignored? Um, and that framework, that organizing organizing framework just allows you to go, right, okay, um, there are different things here that we can see happening faster that aren't being affected and things that are just going to go away now. So more people switching to working from home. What, you know, you keep scratching at that and you end up in places like, you know, do we go and talk to train companies about adopting flexible monthly tickets because people are only going to be using them three times a week? You know, what are the what are the residual impacts of what we're seeing into the economy, into the ways we work, into the way people interact with brands? Um, you know, the, the huge acceleration win this year, to call it that, would be everyone being able to switch to e-com as fast as possible. You know, I saw I saw something on Twitter just yesterday which said we really haven't spent enough time admiring how incredible the, the big supermarkets were adapting to what they needed to do. You went from week one of lockdown of having like a printout from the office printer in that supermarket on the wall saying, please wash your hands, wear a mask to week two of lockdown. Those signs were laminated. Week three, the staff were in T-shirts giving out um, hand sanitizer. And that's before you even get to the organisational and operation, an operational aspect of getting the stock in. Um, that, I thought, was in, an incredible adaptation story. And I think what we're going to see next year, should this all shake out, is lots of case studies and learnings and more companies catching on and saying, right, well, we didn't, you know, last year was our opportunity to do that. We've seen digital transformation. We've seen people switch to e-com at speed. <clears throat> we don't have any excuses anymore. Tier one brands are pretty good at this. The Unilevers, the Nestle's, the Heinz's, the, I'm talking about consumer brands, but even on B2B, you know, our brand, we work with Fujitsu, but the big brands, absolutely what I'd call the the, the, the leaders, the, the, the number, the people in the one, two and three slots and the leaderboards. It's the, the, the challenges, all the rest, the tier three to five, um, which are big companies who really haven't got a clue. And I'm not surprised. I'm I'm not surprised. Digital is just, I'm just talking about social media, but digital itself has exploded, worrying about your CX and how your e-commerce system is working and blah, blah, blah. There's just so much for what often is one or two people to get their heads around. It's not a surprise, but, but the reality is we have got to get back to this idea that social is not just about posting you know, stuff out on Wisdom Wednesday and hoping like hell somebody might see it. So that's 2020. One hell of a year that has thrown everything in PR, digital communications and marketing on its head. A year where some of us have suffered serious trauma, others have completely changed their lives and careers, but we've all had to adapt on the fly. But what of 2021? What do you see when you look forward? Now, that depends in part on which side of the Atlantic you're listening to this from. We should probably have recorded this after the United States election, presidential election, because I'm I'm assuming we'll still be alive next week. But I don't really know. (laughs) I mean, it's half in jest, but it's really chaotic in the U.S., crazy chaotic and it's so hard to to think about anything beyond right now for sure anything beyond the election 
Um, and it's funny because <clears throat> Content Marketing Institute is doing their big trends roundup. And they asked me, what do I think the trends for next year are? And I've been thinking about it. And I don't know. It's so hard to think about anything further than 60 or 90 days right now. Living with the pandemic has got to be the primary feature of 2021. Uh, and then Brexit, um, I think. And for, for anyone working in the UK, those are going to be the dominant macro issues for next year. You know, combined, we, we've seen GDP fall by 15%. I mean, it's recovering now, but, you know, estimates are that we'll see it fall again by it depends how severe Brexit is and when we whether we actually get a deal, but it's going to go again by five percent. So you know that in itself causes huge structural change uh, inevitably. Um, so I think that's you know, that's the biggest issue. The next show will be the last of the year, and along with the same five guests, I'll be taking a closer look at what on earth the communications industry can expect from twenty twenty one. So make sure you subscribe. But in the meantime, here's a very stark warning from Rax. So I've got to be very careful how I say this because this year has been tough for for everybody, um, and it's been tough for our industry. You know, there's going to be a lot of fallout from it, and I you know and a lot of people have probably been affected a lot a lot worse than I have. But at the same time, I think what we've seen this year in 2020 is a real disruptive, abrupt brutal shake-up of the industry, of the um, the behaviours and the outlooks that were probably really outdated, that needed challenging, and what this year has done out of circumstance, it's levelled a lot of the players in our industry. So the big agencies that had, you know, the fancy swanky offices and, you know, the, the lovely furniture and all that stuff, They've not got that anymore. You know, they're, they're now in the same position as a small, you know, agency. So um, again, I've been talking with CEOs of agencies who are, who are, you know, absolutely considering downsizing their office, giving up their leases, you know, to, to move over to a hybrid model. So all of our working practices are are being challenged. We've got this pivotal moment right now, which I think the PR industry has got a job to do. It's got a job to do in helping brands re-find their their feet, you know, find their purpose. We have to actually engage and and, and convince and um, bring people to uh, an understanding of what the issues are. And PR can do that. So we've got a real opportunity. I think we've got an opportunity to to climb up this hierarchy, which we've slipped down in in, in the last decade or so. Um, However, that said, I don't think that that we're up to it. I don't think the majority of agencies right now um, have really got that strategic comms lens that is permanently kind of week in, week out part of their proposition. As always, you can find all of my guests on Twitter. You can subscribe to Digital Download on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please do leave a review as this helps others discover the podcast. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.